Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Square. I'm Poonam Schallenberger, and I'm here today with Brett Semrose, sector leader in our education practice. Welcome, Brett. Thank you, Poonam. I'm glad to be here. So glad to have you. I'm glad to be talking today a little bit about education and fast growth and how districts are able to navigate changes within their district, but also within the education practice and the curriculum as a whole. You've been at Corgan for how many years now? 24. 24. And most of them working with the District of Frisco, right? Uh, I've spent my entire career in the education sector at Corgan. And a lot of that, I want to say 12 to 14 years, I worked exclusively with Frisco ISD because of their rapid growth and just the amount of projects that they had every year and the partnership we had and what we were delivering for them. Yeah, there's probably a lot of benefits when you're able to have tenure with an architect as well as the administration to be able to help navigate the changes that a district might be experiencing with the community, with demographic changes, with students, but then also helping them understand what changes in education technology or student expectations might mean for that school or for their, for their community as well. Well, absolutely, because we, you know, we really got to understand um, their standards and, you know, equity was a big thing with them, make sure that all students were having equal opportunities, uh, whether they were, you know, existing schools or, or new campuses, keeping up with their growth, um, all of that, the partnership and the trust that we had to have, because sometimes we had to move very quickly uh, when they, when the, the, you know, the winds of the of their demographics were changing. Yeah, Frisco has an interesting story, right? There's exponential growth in the, in the neighborhood, but they were able to still preserve the quality of education for their mm -hmm. students, and it, so much so that they were able to build a sort of national reputation for their curriculum and for the, the quality of their education. Yeah. Well, well, so Frisco, for a short time, they were the, the fastest growing school district in the nation. Wow. And that was kind of during those years that, that we were doing, um, you know, for a while we were doing four new schools for them a year. Uh, the, I think the most they opened in one year were six. They did have one other architect at the time serving them. For comparison, what does an average district's like new school rate look like? It depends on, on what growth mode they're in. Okay. Um, but I, I couldn't tell you at the time how many districts were opening you know, one or two schools every couple of years versus Frisco four to six in that in that peak time of growth for them a year. But but that's not something that just Frisco ISD faces or was facing. A lot of fast growth districts have these issues. You know, it's you know, um, can you keep up with with the growth in terms of schools? Because what we do know is when you start putting too many kids in a classroom or you start having portable classrooms that potentially the the uh, the quality of, of that educational environment diminishes and can have adverse effects on the kids and the performance. Right, and it's probably also managing, well, we're building this school, but this school needs a repair on whatever at the same time, and how are we going to manage the flow of all so of that, the students? So that's interesting because, you know, the, the perception was that in Frisco during that time that all their schools were new. But then you looked up and now their, their, their oldest school was 25 years old. And no one, no one perceived it that way because it was more about keeping up with the growth. But yes, you start having equipment, you know, life cycle um, issues where equipment starts just aging out and you have to start replacing it, whether it be, you know, mechanical equipment, you know, roofs, things like that. And so there's this there's this schedule of 
of maintaining and, and replacing those items while also trying to keep up with yeah. the new construction and the new growth and keeping those those standards consistent so, across the district. So you're adding new schools to the district, mm -hmm. expanding, maintaining, renovating existing schools. What are some solutions or design approaches that kind of helped with managing that growth? Well, so I think that's two different things. Um, but when you look at the growth aspect, you know, fast growth districts sometimes are growing so fast that when you're growing, uh, you know, like for Frisco, for example, at one time they were growing over 3,000 kids per year. And most of that growth was at the primary level. Their schools, the, their community had decided that they wanted a, what they call the small school model or neighborhood school model for elementary schools. So their capacity was 720 to 750 kids. Okay. But if you're growing by 3,000 kids a year, you know, that's four elementary schools, if they were all elementary school kids. And so to keep up with that growth, um, what, what one of the strategies that we employed was uh, prototype designs. So we designed an elementary school, and then we would build it on multiple sites in multiple years. Some of the advantages, number one, is you can kind of think of that first one as a prototype or a mock-up where during construction, you know, there's always issues that, that arise on, on any project. But we're able to document those, update the drawings, and so when you build that site or that, that, that school again on a future site, um, there's less issues that arise. There's less unknowns that get discovered through that through that normal construction process, which is a benefit to us, the construction team, as well as the school district. Um, additionally, those prototype designs let you let you um, react a little more quickly and get schools out. And the most extreme example I can give is we got a call one year in September. And the district, they had just gotten an updated demographic report and saw their first day um, enrollment numbers and said, we need another elementary school open next fall. Wow. So next August, so less than a year. And so we had to figure out, well, how are we going to get this done? And, you know, it had to be a prototype. We initially had to get a CM on board, construction manager. We had to work with the city. On, on on permitting and scheduling because it was going to be, be a different um, process. We need to streamline that process as well. And the funny thing is we issued an RFP for instruction manager at risk. About a week after we issued that, we got a phone call from the district and they said, oh, by the way, we need two schools. And so um, easy enough, we pivoted. We had the sites. We About six weeks, we... we redeveloped those plans for those new sites, had the CM on board, got it bid, started construction, several meetings, partnerships with the city, with the school district. None of, and, and we actually finished construction of those schools in June of the next year. And you would, you would credit most of that success to the prototyping? That was a big part of it, yes, mm -hmm. because normally that process would take two years, and we did it in less than one. Uh, normally, on a normal schedule, CDs designed to CDs on an elementary school is about six months, and then construction was 14 to 16 months. And so we shortened it not only for the prototype, but also the understanding we had with the district, the partnership that we that we had with them, uh, knowing their standards, 
So a lot of the things that you would have to, that we would have to, to learn from a client at the beginning of the project, we already know. You know, that, that knowledge base we already have. Right. And those, those drawings are already there. It's not as simple as just saying, here, build this again. There was still work we had to do you know, to get that to a point where we could. And, and, and just because you're prototyping doesn't mean all these schools are exactly the same. Right. They all have different foundation systems. They have different sites. There's different circulation patterns. And the other thing we try to do, just the building itself, uh, because these are neighborhood schools, and, and, and this particular district, they don't have um, mascots at their elementary school level. But still, there's a branding that takes place on these campuses, you know, colors and patterns and those type things. And if we kept them all the same, then there's no real identity for, for one school versus another for these kids in these neighborhoods. So the, the, the colors, the, the patterns, those type things, you know, both interior and exterior, we do change that on, on all of these. So they are a level of unique as much as they can be. Yeah, it seems that prototyping allows you some efficiency and even mm -hmm. a quality, right? Like if you're going sending your kid to a school, you want to know that it has all the same perks and features mm -hmm. that the school down the street has. But what opportunities are there to kind of customize a school? You talked about colors or maybe the interiors and exteriors. Mm -hmm. How do you create a sense of identity while preserving that sort of equality across the board and do it quickly? Well, I mean, that, that's, that's part of it, right, that I already mentioned that, you know, you, because, you know, the, the schools, they adopt their school colors and their branding and, and, um, from these palettes that we're, that we're helping to create for each one, both interior and exterior. And also we do, even though most of, of these particular campuses were in suburban neighborhoods, we still want to kind of, um, you know, take some, some, some flair from that in terms of brick colors and patterns and, and some of those, those styles as well. Um, so that they do have their 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 own sense of um, of place, if you will. Sure. For those for those kids. You know, you mentioned Brett that you can't just take a prototype and be like, "Great, here mm -hmm. you go, run with it." What are some considerations and some challenges of working with prototypes, and how do you solve for them? Is even though we we want to think about equity, and we want to and, and we talked about kind of making those small shifts on on the colors and the patterns for for that identity. But also, we still want to make improvements. You know, building codes change, um, equipment changes, systems change, and we want to still um, continue improving. The equipment's more energy efficient. At one point, you know, we switched from a four-pipe mechanical system with boilers and chillers to geothermal system that's more efficient for the school district. And so um, things like that, if we, if we built you know, 10 years later with the exact same details from 10 years ago, then we wouldn't be keeping up with just the industry and building science. So, so it may not be something that most people walking into that campus see or perceive, but the district maintenance and operation people absolutely do because sure. they'll see the direct benefit. In fact, we actually at one point charted these prototype schools that were built over the years and their their energy usage and what it showed is the more recent schools were using less energy because of those improvements that most people don't see yeah um probably even just relying on a maybe not relying on a prototype but starting with a prototype now allows architects and designers to focus on new ways to add efficiencies and improve yeah. the school and and the reason for the prototype 
that's a benefit. But the really re the real reason for it was to keep up with the growth. Yeah. To keep up with the the speed at which this particular district was was having to to build campuses. You know, and and more recently they've slowed down, and that's not quite as big of a of a need. You know, for to keep up with that. The, you know, they, the fact it's funny they they used to say we we've, we've got to build these schools as fast as we can, and now they're trying to build them, you know, as slowly as they can, because at some point, you know, you don't want to outbid that that growth. And, sure. Um, and that's the thing too with with fast growth districts is to really understand where your growth is now, but where it's going, and where you might top out what the develop developable land is. They all have. Uh, demograph dem demographers that they produce demographic reports that kind of show them that a normal district might get an updated report every two years a fast growth district could be twice a year there's some that do it four times a year because of the that rapid growth so that they understand not only that it's coming but where it's coming right um, the other thing about the prototype is that thing about where it's coming we have had districts where we're designing a prototype school on four different sites because they know the growth is coming, but they don't have a really good feel of exactly where it's going first. And so we, we got to 100% CDs before we even knew which sites we were actually going to bid. Hmm. And then we bid two. The other two then we stick in the drawer. And then a year or two later, they pull those out. You know, we might have to make a couple of updates and then we issue those. So by having that prototype, you know, not only from an efficiency of, of us drawing, but also the district being able to then build those and the cost and expenses and the resources that they put into, you know, design fees to produce those drawings are not for, for waste. So you mentioned that knowing that your growth is coming, but where it's coming mm -hmm. is an especially important thing to know. For districts who are kind of facing this growth or expecting it, what advice or kind of what other sort of look out, watch out for lessons have you come away with? I think the biggest for districts is is to get out ahead of it and understand that it's coming. Um, most of the time, you know, and, and form relationships with, with the developers that are in your district. Um, because the, most of the time those developers will actually come and work with the district and sometimes donate or at least sell land for a school. It's beneficial to the developers as well because it helps them buy lots because people want to, you know, they, they, they um, it, it's advantageous to have a, a school in your neighborhood. And so it's a positive for them. So they'll usually work with the school districts, but if you can buy, if you know the growth is coming and you can buy those, those lots earlier, and then what we've done to help partner with districts is then do test fits right. as they're as they're finalizing those lots to make sure that both the size, the layout, the you know the the proportions of the site, as well as utilities, infrastructure, if there's floodplain issues or, or there was big areas of fill, whatever, that they understand what the development costs are for that site when they purchase it, and that we know it's workable. Right. So that you have that planning well before you actually need to build on it because. If in the scenario that I gave you a minute ago about needing a school, you know, in less than a year, if that district didn't already own that those sites, we couldn't have delivered. 
And that's probably where having those relationships really helps too, and and having a sort of history in that community yeah. where you might have a have a site, but to know kind of oh, well, this landowner next door might pose an issue or, you know, the roadways and the circulation and all of that. Absolutely. Well, and an example, so one of those fast-paced ones, um, there was a wetlands on that site that we knew about. And so we had already worked with the district, with the Corps of Engineers, on all the permits to be able to modify that and, and, and develop that site. Same thing. If that work hadn't been done ahead of time, we could not have delivered that school in 10 months yeah. like we did. Yeah. So, so so getting out ahead of it, knowing that you have the growth coming, knowing mm -hmm. where that growth is coming. What else, what other advice might you offer districts who are looking at needing to scale quickly? Uh, so the thing about school districts is, you know, they are, they are local and there is different strategies and knowing what your build out plan looks like for example, Frisco ISD, we talked about the elementary schools being neighborhood schools. Middle schools are similar, uh, but they're high schools. They're high, Frisco's high school model, they used to call it the small school model, um, which at the time they developed it was to stay 4A. It's now 5A, 2,100 students, mm -hmm. which for a lot of school districts, 2,100 students is not small. But when you compare to districts that have 6,000 students at their high school or 5,000 students, 4,000 students, 2,000 is still small. They now call it the student opportunity model. Okay. The thought is, and, and as a community, the reason that was important for them, and it's not for all communities, but why what's important for them was um, by having, by having, as an example, four high schools at 2,000 kids each versus one high school at eight, you have four starting quarterbacks. You have, you know, four full-size bands. You have, you know, four football teams, four volleyball teams, four varsity. And so there's more opportunities for more kids to participate in, in those different events. Sure. Whereas at a larger school, you know, you get you get one quarterback. And so for them, they felt like that was a better experience for their for the kids for what they wanted. That was a community decision. As Frisco started to grow and um, their, their growth slowed down, there was a push from some community members to look at, well, if we just built bigger high schools, we wouldn't have to have as many. It would save on operational cost, which is all true. So they did a community outreach. They had some meetings. They did a survey. They got feedback from the community. What's important to you understanding these these you know, do we need to pivot? This worked for us for so long. Is this still who we who we are? And overwhelmingly, that overwhelmingly, that community said, "Yes, we still want this student opportunity model. That this this twenty one hundred student five A high school model, which meant they would have a few more. Yeah. So when the district is planning, now you know how to plan based on your demographics, how many high schools you're going to have." You can look at that not just for today, but in the future on operational costs, because there is a cost to it. Because not only do you have four starting quarterbacks, you have four high school principals. Yeah. And of course, Frisco now has 12 high schools. So, um, but the community said, this is what's important to us. And so having that trust with your community and, and letting the community help identify that roadmap for you 
is very important. Yeah, that that idea of community engagement and being able to participate and have voice mm-hmm. and agency over the development of their own district is especially important for schools. Can you help me understand how you did that at Frisco and, and just some lessons that you walked away with that, that really maybe lent itself to the success of the end product? Well, in terms of you know what what we just talked about in in terms of the you know the the school model and that community engagement that was really the school district where there is a partner helping them kind of look at the scenarios for example we did help them with uh, what would a 3500 student high school look like if they were going to if the community wanted to go that route you know so it's it's supporting the district on on that level um, we've you know we've helped them same thing when you have to do a bond election and and you know fund these projects is try to identify what well, well, what would this look like what are the scenarios um, that's really how we've partnered with the community I mean with the school district you know through the community um, and I think that's you know I think that's important too it's that it's that trust and you know like I say we have those the experience and know the district standards and we can do those things pretty pretty quickly you know over the past 20 years frisco has seen a lot of growth mm-hmm. past 15 years that you've been there you've helped them figure out how to get to the 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 number of schools that they're at now but in the process you've also seen them through some pretty significant changes as it relates to education the delivery of curriculums and quickly changing curriculums how do, does the fast growth and the quickly the need to quickly design schools does that complicate adding these new elements in or changing curriculums or does does that help the process does that make sense it makes sense so the interesting thing you know in in frisco was um when their first prototype elementary school was designed in um I want to say it was the early 90s. It had some spaces in it that, you know, at the time were different than a lot of schools. And it was a, it was they, it was, most schools at the time were double loaded corridors, you know, corridor with classrooms on both sides. Yeah. Frisco, so we, we developed a plan that organized the school into three pods is what we called them, but three wings that um, had the classroom circling around an open area in the middle. That open area at the time was a computer lab, a wired computer lab. And so all those kids shared and, and the kids from the classroom, different classes came out at different times to use that lab and, and, and moved around. Over time, and, and so every time we, sorry, every time we redesigned, we did redesign the prototype, you know, you, they might've built eight to ten and then we would redesign it you know make some changes but it was always kind of reorganization of the same pieces and so that classroom pod stayed pretty much intact from there all the way up to elementary school 42 which opened in 2000 and um i don't know that really matters but 2015 and actually my son goes to school there but those classroom pods were the same. The difference is we no longer have wired computer labs. So that space has been completely changed into just an open collaborative space that, you know, the the, the changing in, in, in education models has changed too, where it's gone away from teacher-centric to more student-centric. Right. 
um, because used to the teacher was the person who had the information and all the kids had to learn from that teacher standing in the front of the room in a lecture style or writing on the board yeah. or whatever. Well, now kids have access to information through their uh, you know, iPads or phones or uh, Google Chromebooks or whatever. And so from each other, it's, know, it's, it's, hand, it's hands it's yeah. hands on. The, the teacher really is more of a guide now, mm-hmm. and the kids are allowed to explore and, and figure things out on their own more and use the resources available to them. And so now that space that used to be a wired computer lab, you know, the kid can take their computer anywhere in the, in the school, and it functions and it operates. And so kids are, are coming out there, and it's not just one whole class coming out at a time. You may have three or four kids from, from several classes getting in there, working together. So no longer is your group just your the 20 kids or 22 kids in your classroom. You're actually able to, to integrate with other students from other classes as well into those spaces. And that's really more where education is going is, um, you know, empower that, that student to explore on their own within some guide rails. Right. And, and then it becomes the prototype's job to be designed such that it can quickly adapt to and be reconfigured, like you said, yeah, to accommodate so, these changes. Yeah, because, you know, when we design these schools, we're, I mean, we're designing the place for these great things to happen. And and the more different functions that can happen in a space, the, the better. And, and the more way, whether it's a small, intimate group of two or three kids or a class or two classes together, you know, so that's really what we want is spaces that are interchangeable. And our prototypes have stayed pretty consistent to be able to do that with just some minor tweaks here and there mm-hmm. along the way. Now, their most recent school is quite a drastic change to that. And so they are exploring how to push that more. We're designing a middle school right now for them. Um, that changes that concept quite a bit. What was the driver behind that change? Um, I think as Frisco slowed down in their growth, they were able to kind of look at a, a bigger shift. And, and they're actually looking at ways as their, as their older campuses come up on more of these 20, 25 year renovations to go try to kind of create these spaces here too. But it is that concept of you know, the learning doesn't happen in the classroom, but taking it even further. And what we really wanted to do on that one is create uh, spaces that are connected, but discreet enough that you can have different groups. So it, so we never had before, but now in the middle schools, there is a space where all of the seventh grade can be together at one time and all of the eighth grade and all of the sixth grade, all at the same time in three separate spaces. Yeah. We have a space where the entire school can be together at the same time or any subsets thereof. We've never had that before, you know? And so uh, teachers too, it's not just about the students be able to do this, but teachers need spaces. And that's one of the things we always hear. We don't have a place where we can plan. So now we have spaces that can serve both. So Brett, you've been working with Frisco ISD for almost 25 years. Can you tell us a little bit about the district, where it's located and about its growth? Well, so the growth of Frisco ISD has really paralleled the growth um, of the city of Frisco. And Frisco is is a city located um, north of Dallas, up you know on the tollway, north of Plano. And when I started working there, there was around 30,000 residents, and they're now Frisco's now over 200,000. And so that's just from, you know, in the span of a little over 20 years. 
Um, the thing about Frisco, a lot of communities like theirs would would be resistant to growth and and really kind of do everything they can not to grow. Um, but this area in North Texas has been attractive for years. You know, we have um, low low cost of, of property relative to the rest of the country. You know, um, there's a lot of opportunity for employment, for high paying jobs. Um, and so people move here. And Frisco ISD, or sorry, the city of Frisco, they, they recognized, they had, a, they had one city manager and, and, and they recognized that the growth was coming. So we can either fight it or we can embrace it and we can plan for it. And that's really what the city of Frisco did. And so it was strategic. They had a plan for growth and the ISD was a partner in that. In fact, Frisco ISD and the city of Frisco, um, their partnership that has, that has really sustained over all these years, is a, it's a big reason for the success of both, and they'll both admit that. But it's also served as an example to other cities and other school districts on how they can partner and, and for a mutually beneficial relationship. And so Frisco now is a city that the catalyst of the growth was the mall, Stonebriar Mall. When Stonebriar Mall opened and people said this mall will never work here, but uh, the visionaries in Frisco said, yes, it will. And it will. It, it did. And it attracted you know, other, other venues and, the, and then other developments. And now there's, there's every major sport is now in Frisco. There's um, the Rough Riders, the minor league baseball team. There's FC Dallas professional soccer team. There's the, the, the Star Center. So there's Stars practice facility and um, minor league hockey team. The Dallas Cowboys have their uh, off-season home up there as well. Uh, PGA just moved up there. All of those were partnerships with the city and several of those, the ISD was a partner in that as well. Um, so if you live in Frisco, you really don't even have to leave, especially now with, you know, flexible work and, uh, arrangements and things like that. You've got, you know, restaurants, shopping, entertainment. Uh, the one thing that they don't really have is a really strong arts venue. There are opportunity for arts, but they're kind of dispersed and, and they're really trying to strengthen that. And they're working on that right now as well. And so Frisco really, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's. It's got everything that you need right there. So Brett, for other districts that are trying to navigate the same kind of change and growth, what could they learn from Frisco ISD? Well, I think Frisco ISD has, has served as, um, as an example, as well as a resource for other school districts. Um, I know of some districts who have reached out to Frisco ISD and come and, and met with them and talked to them about how they navigated the growth. You've got to realize when Frisco was at the height of their growth, they were looking around, not just in Texas, but across the United States to find another district going through something similar and they couldn't find it. I mean, from a, I, I can't remember, I wish I knew the exact years, but it's like a 10 year period. They grew by over a thousand percent. And so that's, you know, when you're, when you're 15,000 kids and you're growing by 3,000 kids a year, that's, that's a big number. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of us always want to learn from our peers that have maybe been through something before and school districts are no different. 
So they've reached out to Frisco ISD to see how they planned for this and how they got ahead of it so that they didn't get caught in, 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 a, in a bad situation. And then we as architects and, and Corrigan, we've done the same. We've relied on and fallen back on our experience through those years and helping Frisco ISD navigate their growth as we're serving other school districts, either advising them on some of their planning uh, methodologies or things um, or projects, district standard specifications, educational specifications, those type things. Um, you know, we've been through that before so we can offer advice and help guide them as they navigate similar um, times of growth. Okay, what was your favorite project or favorite story that you can tell me about your work with Frisco ISD? Ooh, I have two. Okay, let's hear them. I have two. So one was, this is actually probably the most rewarding time in my career ever. And it was um, Libby Cash Moss Middle School. So every year, Frisco ISD, when they open new campuses, they would have a school. So all of their elementary schools and middle schools were named after influential people that had a history with Frisco ISD. And they would always have a dedication uh, right at the beginning of the school year for that, that campus. And at Libby Cash Moss Middle School, I attend all of them. And so I was walking up to the school to walk inside and they had the cheerleaders uh, working as ambassadors and holding open the doors for people. And I'm walking up to the door and, and this girl, and so she had to be in seventh or eighth grade um, I just happened to be walking in next to her, her family. I didn't know her. I didn't know her family. But she lets go of the door, and she runs up, and she grabs this, this man next to me's hand and says, Dad, I can't wait to show you my school. Oh. And that was just so rewarding because I can tell you when I was a kid, I never felt that way about any school I ever went to. You know, so to know that, um, that what we're doing actually has an impact on these young people's lives and their educational careers uh, is very is very rewarding. Yeah. Second one. So my second one is um, Independence High School. So for for quite a while, Corrigan was designing all of the elementaries and middle schools for the school district, and a, and a a different architect was designing high schools. And the board decided they wanted Corgan to design their next high school. And they had a specific idea in mind for what they wanted it to look like. Basically, at the time, Frisco ISD, at their high schools, they wanted them to be traditional. That said, education to them. And so um, we went through a, a, a extensive visioning process to de define what traditional meant for that um, for that board at the time. Sure. And then we designed Independence High School. And to this day, I have board members tell me that that is their favorite school, that basically we nailed it, gave them exactly what they wanted. Because before I've heard them say, well, people don't listen to us when we say what we want. So they said, you know, Corgan, y'all listen. You get it. This is exactly what our vision was. You executed it to perfection. And the thing about it to me is, it's not the style I would have designed if I had, you know, carte blanche to do to do anything. Um, but but we're not always designing for ourselves. We're designing for our clients. And so to take what they wanted, their vision that, that we helped draw out of them and execute it in a way that we can be proud 
even if it's not our personal you know, preference. Uh, and then to hear eight years, or it's, it's almost 10, it's been open 10 years now. So 10 years later, that that's still their favorite school. Um, that's pretty rewarding too. Plus my son will go to school there in a few years. Bonus points. Bonus points. Well, you know, I think that's the, both those stories are so special because again, as that district has grown so quickly, navigating the changes of their demographic growth and educational curriculum changes as well, they both point to the enduring value mm -hmm. of schools and the enduring spaces that they have in our lives personally and for our community. So, um, even even while a district is growing, so important to think about how it's going to continue to serve the neighborhood for years to come. Well, and you know, at Corgan, and serving school districts, school districts they they are local and they are about community, and and we we're a part of these communities too. You know, we have several senior leaders and and employees at Corgan who live in Frisco. You know, myself obviously included, um, and we have we have employees that live in in other school districts that are our clients as well. And then we always want to participate in education foundation events or school events and those type things to help give back and be a part of that community as well, because that's really why we're here, yeah. you know, to help serve our clients, but also the future generations of learners um, that are really the future of, of, you know, of our world and our society. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time, Brett. It's been great talking with you. Thank you, Poonam. I enjoyed our conversation. And thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you the next time on The Square.